if you have your Bibles for just a few moments, if you could turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, and I am going to read beginning with verse number 39. And I will make a confession before I begin speaking this morning that there are certain passages of Scripture that when I come to them, I hesitate. Not because I don't understand them, or because I don't uh, know what they speak of, but I hesitate because I know what they mean. And somehow in my limited ability, I feel unworthy to handle that word. And I come to such a passage today with you. Consider with me Luke chapter 22, verse number 39. And it came to pass, or and, it, and he came out and went as it was to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. When he was at the place, he was at the place, it was a familiar place, he called unto them, or he said unto them, pray that you enter not into temptation. And he, with, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou wilt be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. There appeared an angel unto him from the heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Verse 44, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat, everybody say his sweat. His sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I want to speak to you for a few moments from this subject. Don't let it fall in vain. Don't let it fall in vain. You may be seated. The place is all that Luke would call it. Because it was his familiar place. It was known as the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the Mount of Olives, the hillside outside of Jerusalem, the place where olive trees were grown. And many historians believe that It was also a place where an olive press at one time was housed so that they could press those olives for their oil, their precious commodity. It was no doubt enclosed. I myself have never been there. 
but I can only imagine what that setting must have been like. It was quite different from Jerusalem because Jerusalem at that moment was filled with a crowd of people coming in for Passover. The feast of the Jews was at hand and so there were many that were in Jerusalem for this occasion. And so in this pressing hour, in this destiny hour, Jesus retreats to a a private garden there on the hillside of Olivet, a place that he had often gone to before. He turned to a remembered place. It seems to be the way of human nature that when life presses us, we like to go to familiar places. And so he went to the garden. There is nowhere else in Scripture where you can come nearer to our Lord than in that setting. It is so intimate and it is so revealing that when I approach it, I feel unworthy. I feel inadequate and I hesitated even coming to preach to you this morning from this subject because of the deep sense of inadequacy I feel when I understand where he was and why he was there. Nowhere else does he reveal to us more clearly the great purpose for which he came. Nowhere else do you see what that accomplishment would go, was going to cost and the price that would have to be paid for that divine purpose that was upon him. The intimate revelation of that hour is almost more than my mind can comprehend. Because we are given a glimpse into a private prayer of a very powerful man. We come near to him in this private closet. This is not a public prayer meeting where we hear the familiar sayings. This is the closet of prayer when the veil is pulled down and the facade is laid aside and we are who we are before God. And we are allowed to come into that setting. Luke brings us there by way of Scripture to that moment. We hear his private prayer. The intimacy of that agony. When you listen to what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John recorded of that hour, something deep inside of you is stirred because you realize that you are eavesdropping. You are in a place where you really ought not be, perhaps, but you are hearing the veneer removed and the sheer honesty and openness of a soul in agony. He pouring out himself and the sheer desperation of his spirit. If we will, we can learn something from that hour. If we will, we can learn something from what happened in that setting. We learn from him the fullness of the offering that was about to be made, and it was him. He was the sacrifice. 
not someone else, not a lamb, not a turtle dove, but a man would be offered. Because that was the only way that redemption could really be purchased. The blood of bullocks and rams and all of the other sacrifices could only push sin away. But God said, I'm going to deal with sin. And the only way I can deal with sin is to wrap myself in flesh and come as man to man and here we are. When I read those words, there's something in me that halts and hesitates. I go back carefully over them because I, I don't want to read through in a hurry. I, I don't want to get through them to move on to the next event. I want all of it to sink in. I want everything that's transpiring in that garden to really get into my mind and my spirit because if it does, then certainly I could understand more about that divine purpose. In the pouring out of his soul in that great hour, there is very much that can be understood. And when the writers tried to capture that moment, the words that they used are very compelling. One word that is used by the writer Luke is the word agony. He was in a great agony. The word in the Greek is very expressive, but it is expressive in any language. Agony is something that all of us know something about. When we speak of agony, we are talking about being in the midst of a struggle, a struggle that is so intense that it demands every fiber of our nature. It demands every ounce of strength. All of our mental capacities have to be marshaled together. There's, there's no divided mind in an agony. There is that one mind and it is intent and bent. It is pointed in a certain direction and it is reaching for one thing. He was in a great agony. The limits of the flesh were thrown aside and the, the, the limitations of man were laid down in that moment of agony as he stressed and pressed and pushed and reached and went to the utmost point for you and I. He began, the Bible said in Mark, that he began in this garden to be sore amazed. The question is, what could so amaze him at such an hour? He's already seen about everything you could see. He's seen religious people that didn't want to have anything to do with him. They liked their form better than they liked the power of a present God. And so he had dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He had dealt with their haughtiness and their criticism. And he had dealt with all of their pride and arrogance. And he had seen the baser side of humanity. He had, he had witnessed the demons that possessed a man. 
And he had seen the torment and agony that that life lived in. He saw death and he saw crippled and maimed and, and lame lives all around him. They brought them to him every day. But none of that, none of it is recorded to have amazed him. But in this hour, in this moment, in this garden, in this setting, he is sore amazed. What is it that amazed him? When I begin to think about that, the only thing that I could come to any reasonable conclusion, it had to be the cup of sin that he was about to be a partaker of. Somehow when he looked into that cup of sin that he was about to drink from, what amazed him was the sin of man. What amazed him is when he looked into that cup and he saw the, the degradation and the dirtiness and the foulness and the rudeness and the meanness of what sin had brought into humanity. Something about that picture amazed him. Perhaps there was a flashback back to creation when God made man in his own image. And now he looks at man and sees how far man has fallen from that original pattern. And it sore amazed him. He was sore amazed, sickened by what he saw, loaded down and pressed down to the ground and pushed to the cross, pushed to the cross. And so in that garden, those things that happened on that eventful evening forever changed the world, and they changed our lives. So many times we celebrate the cross, and I want to celebrate that. And Easter's coming, and we're going to have a great day Easter Sunday. We're going to celebrate resurrection but i want to tell you that there were some things that had to be done to get to that celebration day there were things that had to happen that brought us to that moment of celebration and here's one of them that garden of gethsemane and that agony and that sore amazement and the wrestling until the bible said his sweat became as great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So what does this scene reveal to me? When I began to examine this story and God began to talk to my heart, the first thing that God spoke to me or I felt impressed of the Lord was, it shows us that dealing with flesh is no easy thing. That dealing with our humanity is no easy situation. That it is a troubling thing to separate the spirit and the flesh. And to do the will of God is going to take some kind of decision and some kind of of determination and the mental pressure arising from the Lord's struggle that 
forced him into that moment of agony, forced his frame into unnatural links, and it pushed him until the very pores of his body had dilated and blood seeped out of, 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 the, of the blood vessels into the tissue and out of his body and fell down to the ground. It just shows me how strong this flesh can be to rise up against the will of God and the purpose of God. And it is no easy thing to bring my flesh under subjection. It is no easy thing to make my flesh submit and say yes. It is no easy thing to be broken. It is no easy thing to tell my flesh no. So just encourage some of you. Some of you are a little heavy right now, but let me give you a little word of encouragement in this heavy scene. All of those struggles that you're going through in your own flesh... And you feel like you're the only one that's got that problem and you're the only one that's got that weakness and nobody knows what you're going through and nobody understands you. I promise you if you go read the story one more time and you see what happened to him in that garden, you will understand that it's not easy for any of us to deal with our flesh. Amen. So don't use that as an excuse for quitting and giving up. And saying, well, I just wasn't made to live for God. He won. He won. I said, he won. And because he won, you can win. You can overcome. You can rise up and be what God designed you to. You can become what God made you to become. Praise God. So there is no easy dealing with our flesh. There is... No easy working against those things that oppose the Spirit of God. It shows that your struggle with this flesh is no small thing, but it is an important thing. Amen. It is important that we understand that there is a spirit and there is a spiritual side that must have the priority in my life. The second thing that revealed to me here in this story is the voluntary way in which he suffered. No one drove him there. No one made him go there. No one led him there. He went on his own. He gave freely. He loves freely. He went freely. What is so interesting is that in a little while, blood was going to flow like you cannot even imagine. <laughs> I wish somehow in my feeble way I could help you catch a glimpse, but I'm afraid the picture would be too gory for most of us of what they were about to do to him when they took that cat of nine tails and they tied him to the post and they began whipping his body and not just slapping him on the back with a belt, but every time that whip would wrap around his body, it would yank a piece of flesh away until historians say that by the time they got through beating him, 
it was very possible that even his own intestines were hanging out of his body. And if not so, at least his rib cages were exposed because of the beating and the bloodletting that went on in that court. But that wasn't the end of it. That was just the beginning. They took him out to a cross and they nailed him to that cross. They put him through his hand. They put him through his feet. But that wasn't enough. Before it was over with, somebody came by and with a spear they stuck him in the side and the Bible said out of it flowed blood and water. But you hear me. On this night, blood flowed, but there was no lance, there was no knife, there was no whip. It came freely. It came because he wanted to give. It came because he wanted to do what needed to be done, to bridge that gap between man and God and bring reconciliation to that creation that God had made from the beginning. On this night, nobody made him do it. But in that agony, in that prayer that he prayed that night, and in the depth of being sore amazed, something happened, and freely blood flows out of his body. I'm not a person that knows much about horticulture, but they tell me that the sweetest of the saps are those that flow freely from the tree. Not those that are cut, but those that come out freely. Those are the best to have. Those are the ones that are coveted the most. And on this night, when he was in that agony of prayer, there was something that came out of him freely. I wish I could help somebody understand here this morning that he loved you enough and he loved me enough that he would freely... He went freely. Nobody coerced him. Nobody bribed him. Nobody begged him. Nobody made him do it. He did it because he loves me. (laughs) (laughs) He did it because he wanted to make up for what I could not make up for. He wanted to do what I couldn't do. And that's bridge a gap. Between God and man. And so he gave freely. But that's not the end of it. When you look at that agony of that night. How tremendous that pressure was. You have to understand. That in that moment. There is a revelation. Of the weight. And the ugliness of sin because that's the only reason he's here sin not his but mine not his but yours and when he looks into that cup oh When I saw that, I thought, oh God, forgive us in this hour that trivializes sin. Forgive us, Lord, in this hour that makes light of sin. Forgive us in this hour that laughs at sin, that mocks sin, that lampoons sin, that 
promotes sin, that encourages sin. Forgive us, Lord, that in this hour when we trivialize what you agonized over, that we would somehow be able to remember that night. We could remember that weight. We could remember that hour and not let your blood fall in vain. <laughs> oh God, I don't, I, I don't want to live my life in such a way that I trivialize wrong and I say, well, you know, man's got to be man and woman's got to be woman and we got to do what, when in Rome, do as Rome does. I don't want that blood to have fallen in vain because in an hour when we make fun of sin, I myself get caught up in that and that blood means nothing to me. Folks, he didn't do it because he had to. He didn't do it because he had sinned. He who knew no sin took my sin, your sin, so the next time you want to do something that's illegal or immoral, illicit, just remember something this preacher's saying this morning. The next time you lift something to your lips or you speak something from your mouth that is not with or in accord with God's purpose for your life, just remember that there was a night when he agonized over that. When you played through the night and you made fun of it, God was in flesh agonizing and travailing and shaking and trembling under the weight of your sin and mine. Yeah. Oh. Ooh. Oh. God help me. Here he is in this hour. It's not fun and games, but it's heaviness. Said so Brother Hughes, I don't like church to be heavy. I, I want to feel good when I leave. Well, if you understood what I'm trying to preach, you would, you, you would embrace what I'm trying to get you to embrace and you would feel good about life. But as long as we trivialize sin and we excuse sin and we make allowances for sin and we'll let God into every area of our life but this area then what we are really doing is letting that blood fall in vain. When we break a vow or when we do something that we know is contrary to the will of God, not his sin but mine, he came to deal with it. I'm so glad he was willing to deal with it. Ah, yes, he came to deal with it. So, folks, that means we need to deal with it. We need to quit playing with it, entertaining ourselves with it, saying it really doesn't matter. Tell me it doesn't matter. Tell me it doesn't matter. When he bowed and in an agony, in a great agony, he prayed. And he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became as great, great drops of blood. He came to deal with sin. He came to put it where it belongs. And that is away 
And that's what we need to do is put our sin away. Do you hear me? Put our sin away. So Brother Hughes, I don't even know what sin is. Well, let me tell you what it is. Sin is a violation, first of all, of the Word of God and the law of God. In its simplest form, it is a missing of the mark. But don't trivialize that point as some have in our day and say, well, you know, you just missed it a little, but it's okay. Not when it comes to my eternity, it's not. Not when it comes to my salvation, it's not. God designed me to hit the target, not miss the target. So if God came to deal with my sin, to put it away, maybe that's what I need to do this morning. Amen. Don't, don't, don't let it be in vain. Don't, don't let it fall in vain. I close with my last consideration. That prayer in Gethsemane and that hour of prayer demonstrates the mighty power of His love. The mighty power of His love. What else could bring Him here? What else could bring Him here? Oh, how He loved you and me. Oh, how He loved you and me. Anyone who would endure what He was to endure, He wasn't looking for an earthly crown. He wasn't as a Pharaoh or a Herod. He wasn't as any of the other great leaders of the world, the Napoleons of the world that have tried to elevate themselves, the Caesars of the world, to put themselves in a place where everybody would look at them. He did this so he could lift me and say, look at what God has done. <laughs> oh, oh, what love could cause someone to do that. Anyone who would endure such contradiction of sinners, such affliction. Belinda, I hate to bring this up, but just the other night, you, you demonstrated in a human way what he did in a greater fashion. We almost had a, had a little mishap on the parking lot. Kids were moving through and someone didn't see them. And she saw the car was moving and the children were in front. And so she threw herself at those kids to push them out of the way so that she would take the brunt of the hit and spare those kids. That's what Gethsemane is. <laughs> he saw me. Life was mowing. It was coming to mow me down. And he threw himself, pushed me out of the way, and took upon himself took upon himself 
that doesn't move you. If that doesn't stir something in you to want to rise up and say, you know what, I can be a better person than this. I can live for God. I can do what's right. I can please Him. It's not a hard thing to do to be right with God. It's not a hard thing to stand in the presence of God and do what He... It's not really that hard. When He would be willing to throw Himself in the path of what was after me and absorb it all into Himself, then the least that I could do would be stand to my feet and say, God, I want to serve You. God, I want to love You. I don't want Your blood to ever have fallen in vain. I don't want one drop to have hit the ground without purpose. I don't want one drop to have gone down into the sand of that eastern landscape and be forgotten. I want to stand here as a representative that that blood that was spilled there and at Calvary is still working. It's still reaching. It's still making a difference. It's still helping me. It's still empowering me. It's still encouraging me. Oh, would you lift up your hands with me one more time? Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, how He loved me. Oh, how He loved me. How could I ever be untrue to somebody that loves me like that? How could I ever cheat on somebody that loves me like that? How could I ever be unfaithful to somebody that loves me like that? Oh God, not one drop, not one drop would fall in vain. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that's trivialized sin in your life and you'd like to come here and stand and say, God, I don't want to trivialize sin in my life anymore. I want to see it as it is. It's an affront to you. It's an embarrassment to what you've made me to be. God, you created me for better things than this. You made me to live higher than this. You made me to live better than this. Come on, if you've trivialized, if if you've not let the love of God really sink in, why don't you come and stand here at the altar? Come on, somebody. I'm not going to linger long, but come on, come on, come on. Come on, let the Spirit of God speak to you. It's not easy dealing with this flesh. It's not easy bringing this flesh under subjection. But if you will, oh, if you will, victory that is great, the victory that is yours. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Call upon Him. All over this building, would you lift your voice? I wonder if I can hear the lifted voices, the lifted voices of people calling out to Him. Oh, God, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you.